0: Proverbs chapter 18, I'm going to read verses 17 through 21 for context this morning. Verse 17, he that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. The lot causeth contentions to cease and parteth between the mighty. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Take just a moment here for review for the benefit of those of you who don't know where we are in this. We're we're looking at a short series Here in the book of Proverbs, I've titled it Pearls and Perils in the book of Proverbs, or if you prefer, Wonders and Warnings from the book of Wisdom. But what we've been doing is just looking at a number of different aspects of the book of Proverbs that would help us in our day-to-day life. A proverb is a statement that makes a comparison or summarizes a common experience, As we know, this book is written by Solomon. It's a compilation of his Proverbs. The Bible tells us he wrote over 3,000 Proverbs, so obviously they're not all here, but this is a collection of uh, among those that he wrote. This book was written by Solomon most likely in his uh, middle years. The book of Song of Solomon, also written by him, likely in his early years. And then the book of Ecclesiastes, written near the end of his life, as he reflected on his experiences during his, uh, his lifetime. A simple outline for this particular book would be words of the wise for the young, the first nine chapters, chapters 10 through 24, wise words for everyone, and chapters 25 through 31, wise words for leaders. This book deals with the subject of wisdom. A lot of folks today will tell us the Bible is no longer relevant. It's no longer applicable to us. It's archaic. It's outdated. It has nothing for us in our modern society. May I say those folks are absolutely completely wrong. This book is as relevant today as it ever was. And as you read the book of Proverbs, you'd be hard-pressed to convince somebody who's, who is not familiar with this that it wasn't written in recent days. So when we read through the book of Proverbs, we have a great deal that we can benefit from. But two important facts in regard to the book of Proverbs. Number one, nearly all the Proverbs are parallel statements. There's two statements that run alongside each other and work together to help us understand what Solomon is saying. When you see the word but in a proverb, it usually indicates the second statement contrasts the first When you see the word and, it usually indicates the second statement further develops or explains the first. So as you're reading the Proverbs, understand almost every proverb has two lines. And they're either complementary of one another or they're contrasting thoughts. So keep that in mind. The second idea here is that Proverbs are principles, not promises. I know I've said that frequently through this, but it's a a reminder to us. As we read the book of Proverbs, we have to be careful to understand that even though these things, when put into practice, most often produce the desired results, we can't guarantee that it's going to happen every time. For example, and I've used this a number of times, chapter 15, verse 1, a soft answer turneth away wrath. Well, usually that works but not always. You don't believe me? Just start talking to somebody about your views on the upcoming presidential election. I know a lot of folks will claim this verse, train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. That's a principle, not a promise. We'd like to think it's a promise, but the fact of the matter is our children, like us, inherited the fallen, sinful, Adamic nature, and they will choose to do what they want to do. No matter how much effort and prayer and commitment we give to raising them, they are still going to make their own choices. So understand, principles, not promises. Now, getting into our study, And by the way, in this series, we have looked at the purpose, the people, the paths, the places, and the praise of the book of Proverbs. Now, we're concluding this little series within a series because we're also considering the pictures of the book of Proverbs. The words like and as and others are are similes. They help us to understand God is trying to teach us something based on a picture that we can understand or comprehend. Our Lord used this type of teaching during his earthly ministry in the use of parables. Someone has said a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. God is taking something we know, we understand, we can comprehend, and attaching to it a spiritual truth or divine instruction. And we see that throughout the book of Proverbs in these pictures. The word as occurs 90 times in Proverbs, and the, the word like is found nine times in the book of Proverbs. So in this series, we've kind of followed the usage of the word like as we've worked our way through it. And in considering the pictures in Proverbs, we've looked at the picture of communication, Confidence, conduct, and now we're going to conclude this little section on on pictures with conflict. We're going to consider two things this morning, conflict's cause and conflict's cure. Solomon's instruction here on the damage caused by conflict is that of a strong wall and fortified gates separating two sides of an issue or an offense. Our text, if you would, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19. A brother offended is harder to be one than a strong city, and their contention are like the bars of a castle. Now, it's noteworthy when considering this, and we've read the context for a reason. Solomon neither lists type of offenses, nor does he attempt to support one side over the other. But here we find he simply identifies the problem and makes some remarks as to either avoiding conflict in the first place, or resolving a matter once an offense has already occurred. As we consider the picture Solomon paints here, regarding the falling out between family and friends, we're reminded of an English maxim that says, friendship once injured is forever lost. Maybe some of us have experienced that very thing. Sadly, all too often that statement is true. Because the closer we are to a person, the more an offense hurts. And it's harder to get over. The word brother here in verse 19 can either mean a friend or an actual blood relative. And both instances refer to someone whom we know and love. H.G. Salter wrote, No discords are like those of brethren. The nearer the union, the greater The separation upon a breach. As seams, when they are ripped, may be sewn again, but rents in the whole cloth are not easily remedied. H.A. Ironside, great preacher of yesteryear, said No tangles are so hard to straighten out as those between brothers who were once knit heart to heart in true affection. It is true. It is difficult to mend a broken relationship because of a conflict, because of an offense. We're going to consider two things this morning, conflict's cause and conflict's cure. So notice with me, backing up to verse 17. Verse 17, he that is first in in his own cause seemeth just. This tells us how conflict begins. In this short phrase, we find the source of all conflict offenses. Let me say that again. In this phrase, he that is first in his own cause seemeth just, this phrase identifies the source of all offenses. That's pride. It's the self-elevation of one person over another. It's the assumption that you are better than others. It's the misconception that one's ideas and views bear more weight than others. It's the delusion that that you alone matter. Solomon is saying here, he that is first in his own mind, he who has the attitude, it's my way or the highway. He who has the attitude, or she, has the attitude, I'm right and you're wrong and that's the end of the matter. You know, that's not the end of the matter. We need to resolve problems, but the pro- but the situation is for many, is they're not looking for a resolution, they're looking for somebody to agree with them. That's the problem with, with trying to have a conversation with people today about a number of different... You can talk about any uh, social activity or event or area of interest on people's minds today. It's difficult to have a civil conversation with people because they're not interested in a give-and-take type of conversation. No, all they want to do is tell you why they're right and you're wrong. So this verse, Solomon just nails it right on the head in saying, He that is first in his own mind, his own cause, seemeth just. This is the error of the flesh and the way of Satan. I remind you, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. By the way, lest we forget, Satan, who was first referred to as Lucifer in Scripture, he was one of God's choice angels. A created being. He, st- he was in heaven with all the other angels, rejoicing and praising God. However, it's interesting, as a created being, he let his own pride get in the way. For the scripture asked, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, notice the fivefold declaration of Satan, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet, thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. By the way, sidebar here. Hell was never created for the punishment of mankind. Hell was intended to be the prison for Satan, the one who rebelled against the Lord. The problem is, once he rebelled, he managed to convince a lot of angels, one-third of the angelic host, to go with him. And beyond that, he and his forces have convinced many, billions of people to follow his lies, his deceptions, and rebel against the Lord. And therefore, God had to send hope for mankind through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself warned us of this conflict. Luke 14, 11, and by the way, he repeats it in Luke 18, 14, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. One of his disciples repeated this same thought. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. The problem is a lot of folks aren't okay with that. They seek self-exaltation, self-praise. They seek to lift themselves up above others. Now several of the Proverbs in chapter 18 return to the topic of good speech. And this passage illustrates the damaged caused when one's thought process in regard to their own cause becomes speech. And that's what we see here, those words that were swirling around in their head all of a sudden burst forth from their lips. And as a result, someone has said, speech rightly used is a powerful tool for the wise person, but for the foolish, their words often come back to haunt them. Solomon notes here, the offense comes when we fail to give attention to the importance of thinking before speaking. You never really know what somebody's thinking when, they're, when you're in their presence. But when they open your mouth, it helps to clear up things, doesn't it? Because we speak, and out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Foolish speech often closes the door against reconciliation and removes from the heart all feeling of tenderness. Conflict. Conflict begins when people are consumed with Self. And aren't willing to consider others. James talks about the importance of the tongue in regard to conflict. James chapter 3 verses 1 through 12. We have that great passage on the, uh, the power of the tongue. I'm not going to read all of that. But just a couple of thoughts here. Verse 2. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. Wow. Wow you want to strive for perfection, learn how to control your tongue. Because he uses the illustration, that passage, the tongue is a little member, it's like a fire that can do great harm. He says, the bit in the horse's mouth can turn the horse one way or another. The rudder of a ship can direct its path through the seas. Well, the tongue, says the tongue No man can tame. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And then he says, Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. When people are offensive and abusive to others, they're igniting anger in that person that may never be quelled. Consider the offenses in scripture. Cain killed Abel because uh, he was offended at Abel's righteousness. Esau sought to kill Jacob because he obtained the blessing of God. Joseph's brothers, because of envy, sold him into slavery. And Absalom, he so hated his brother Amnon for raping his sister Tamar, that he plotted for two years to get even with him. For some people, two years is nothing on how long they hold on to. Anger, hatred, resentment. Tragedy is when offense is committed. Both emotional and spiritual walls are created in the hearts of people who are offended and mistreated by others. Tearing down those walls proved to be difficult and sometimes impossible. Have you ever heard someone say, I will never forgive him. I will never forget what she said or what she did. I will never get over it. How sad. It's sad that the conflict was so great. The offense was so harsh that it caused those feelings. But for that individual who who, uh, is holding in that anger and that hatred, the Bible talks about a root of bitterness springing up in their heart. And it's going to harm them in the long run. Beloved, conflict has a terrible impact on people. And we need to guard against it. How it begins? It begins with me saying, My way is right, your way is wrong. I came across a a humorous little story that illustrates this. During a service at an old synagogue in Eastern Europe many years ago, when the Shema prayer was said, half the assembly stood up and half remained seated. The half that was seated yelled at those standing, telling them to sit down. The other half that was standing yelled at those seated, telling them to stand up. And so it was a conflict. It was a problem in this little synagogue. And by the way, if you don't know what the Shema is, it's from the uh, the passage in uh, Hebrew. Excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter six. It starts out here: "O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord." It is the text of that passage that is in every mezuzah that you see at the doorpost of a, a Jewish home. The young rabbi, he was educated in, in the law and the commentaries, but he didn't know what to do with this. So some people in his congregation said, well, why don't you go ahead and consult uh, this particular man? He was a 98-year-old homebound man who was one of the original founders of the temple in that community. So the rabbi got a couple representatives from each side, and they all went together and met with that man they they asked if he could explain to them help them to understand the tradition of the temple so the ones who the one whose followers stood during shema said is the tradition to stand during this prayer the old man answered no that's not the tradition happy the other ones uh those on the other side said well is the tradition to sit during shema the old man said well that's not the tradition either and the rabbi said the old man, he said, I don't understand. The congregants fight all the time, yelling at each other about whether they should stand or sit. And all of a sudden, the old man just lit up. And, and uh, he spoke up and said, ah, that's our tradition. <laughs> the idea, fighting all the time over things. And for some Christians, that's how they feel about everything. And they want to perpetuate conflict forever. Someone has said the goal of an argument should be progress, not victory. Another said, when Christians begin to argue and quarrel, Satan declares himself neutral, but he supplies ammunition for both sides. Who's feeding your side of the argument? Well, that deals with how it begins. Verse 18, Proverbs 18, 18, how it ends. The lot causeth contentions to cease and parteth between the mighty. There are few quarrels that cannot be solved easily and in a reasonable length of time if the two sides would just get together and seek the Lord's help in resolving that situation. Now, what does that verse mean? Casting the lot. It may sound like an unusual way to settle disputes, but for the Israelites, it was a common method for finding answers and making decisions. If you did not know this, the Jewish people didn't view casting lots as a method of chance. They believed God controlled the landing of the lots and through them ordained his sovereign will. We see this in Proverbs 16.33. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. You see it wasn't matter a, a matter of chance of kismet of fate it wasn't a matter of happenstance they believe that god directed that uh, the casting of the lots for the purpose of helping them to know what his will was and in the context of this verse verse 18 the lot prevented two power excuse me that way the casting of the lot prevented two powerful people from coming against each other either in court or in a physical brawl Do you know the biggest trouble for any of us who face a conflict is what? Being willing to accept the outcome necessary for resolution. What do most people want? Back to the first thought. They want to win the argument. But if our goal is reconciliation and resolving a matter, that's going to go a long way in helping us to deal with this. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us how one Christian shouldn't take another Christian to court. It said, why in the world would you march your differences in front of the heathen? Why don't you sit down before God and allow him to resolve the matter? We're not going to take time to go through all that. But Paul asked the question, now, there, now therefore there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. They love, we ought not to be going to the world to seek a resolution between Christians. So how how do you guard against falling into the trap of offending others? There are a number of instructions in scripture. And, and this is not exhausted by any means, but, uh, you know, we ought to live harmoniously with others. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Think about that verse for a minute. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. So we can throw that back in the Lord's face and say, but Lord, you don't know how difficult she is. Lord, you don't understand how hard it is to get along with Him. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. The onus is on us to do right. It is our responsibility to attempt to live harmoniously with others, whether they choose to accept that or not. It's our duty to do right. Not only that, we ought to be honest with others. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Speaking the truth in love. You know, being truthful with people will go a long way in avoiding conflicts or resolving them. Now, you need to be careful. You know, we think that just because something is right, we can blurt it out at any time. Not necessarily the case. Consider, is it not only true, but is it kind, is it necessary, is it appropriate? You know, the idea that we look at someone, we we seek to find a fault in them. We seek to find something that's different than us. And we want to go ahead and point it out like it's not obvious to them. Be honest with people, but be kind. And again, back to the idea of James chapter 1, biting our tongue and not saying something just because it comes into our mind. A fool speaketh their whole mind. We highly esteem others. Philippians chapter 2. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. How? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Treat others the way we believe Christ would have us treat them. Treat others the way we believe he himself would treat them. Looking at them as individuals whom he loves and for whom he died. That'll go a long way in helping us in regard to avoiding conflict or resolving a problem, a forethought. Not just live harmoniously, not just be honest, not just highly esteem others, but also to help others. Philippians 4.3, I entreat thee also true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. Paul is writing to the Philippian believers, saying I want you to help those who are living for God. I want you to help those, to encourage them, to edify them, to strengthen them in the faith. We ought to have an attitude of mind and heart that moves us to be willing to help people. Rather than always thinking we should be getting something from somebody, what can we do to aid them, to assist them? Realize it's going to take time to rebuild the trust or confidence with broken. But with most people, if we demonstrate genuine humility, repentance, and kindness over a period of time, their trust and confidence can be restored and that really ought to be the goal so contention's cause or how it begins when it's all about me contention's cure how it ends when it becomes about you you see the different perspective there let me close uh, with this thought nature you can learn a lot from nature and compare the uh, the mink and the otter they both have beautiful coats They're often hunted by man for those coats, but uh, they're both members of the weasel family. They have sleek bodies, short legs. Uh, They're both wanderers. They have similar diets made up of crawfish, frogs, fish, and, and the like. Yet, in one way, they are not alike at all. It's their disposition. The mink is everybody's enemy. Often, it will kill its own kind and even its own offspring. It will slaughter a henhouse full of chickens just for the delight. Bred and raised in captivity for its pelt, the mink is as savage in the barn as it is in the woods. It'll quickly bite the hand that feeds it. It's a mean little critter. By contrast, the otter is everybody's friend. It's incurably playful. Naturalists have seen otters playing in a stream of a pond for hours. When raised in captivity, the otter will make friends with all other kinds of animals, including dogs. A loving pet, it gets along well with man and animal alike. Some people are like the mink. Some people are like the otter. Some people generate conflict wherever they go, whatever they do. Others generate peace by what they say and do. So do we find ourselves more like the mink or more like the otter? Are we a mean little creature when around others? Or are we loving and playful? Conflict. We see Solomon here gives us this picture of a mighty city that is easier to breach than the harm, the pain caused by an offense. May God help us to guard against hurting others.